In the little town of Wilder Lived an old man and his lovely little daughter They ran gambling for a living It was the best place around All the men would come and lay their money down Spooktacular greetings, my friends. Thank you so very much for stopping by Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Those tunes that were just thrown your way are courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. This week, I have a gentleman from Cincinnati, Ohio, named Jonathan Brown joining me. Brown is a United States Air Force veteran. For the past 11 years, he has been investigating the paranormal and he is also a researcher. Most of Jonathan's work focuses on EVP, psychic mediumship, and the transfer of energy and its relationship to the supernatural. Jonathan Brown, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is absolutely all mine. So, Jonathan, tell me a little bit about your first encounter with the paranormal, your introduction, if you will. So, as as I was growing up, typically when paranormal things happened, or if anything was happening around me, I wasn't exactly aware of it. For the most part, I just thought it was normal. So as as a child, I don't have a lot of experiences. It was as I got older where I started to actually study everything, where I found out, you know, that creepy feeling that you're getting actually might be something. You know, things that you might see, shadows, things darting across the room, that might also be something. So my first real experience encountering the paranormal was when back in 2009 when I actually went out with a buddy and we had decided, hey, let's look into this. So we like a digital recorder and we were in Omaha, Nebraska which is primarily cornfields and we found a like an old farmland mm. and so we said you know what the heck let's go out there and see what, what we see and let's just sort of dive in and after about the second visit of working with the digital recorder we went back to the house and we picked up an EVP a very clear EVP that told us to knock it off Oh, yeah, it it was super clear. It it sort of was like knocking off. And we were like, well, you didn't say that. I didn't say that. And from there, it sort of just took off. So my first real encounter, I would have to say, was at that farmland in Omaha. And interestingly enough, my first time really seeing like a full body apparition came from being on that land. So really, very interesting. I can talk about that more later. It's just an in-depth story. Yeah, that first CVP wasn't it, and that wasn't the clearest one we got from there. So being like the first time investigator, the place sort of blew our minds. And my buddy had experiences from it at his own apartment, and the full-body apparition I saw came to my house. Oh. There was quite a bit going on there. It was just super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It is eerie when conducting an investigation, and suddenly you're like, hmm, did something come home with me? I've had that happen, too, and it's like, no, I... (laughs) It's it's happened a few times. Yeah. And each time it's sort of been quite an experience, so... Right. Yeah, I can only imagine. And so... 
Jonathan, do you know much, like, history when it comes to that farmland area? No, we didn't. So what happened was we were just in the general farmland, and then we ended up finding, like, an old abandoned home, which was a farm home. Hmm. And in terms of history, the most I could say is that it had one of those old-fashioned tornado shelters that they actually dug a silo into the ground. And you had to go down, you know, you sort of opened up the, the door in the ground and you walked down into it and there was the tornado shelter. The farmland itself, we we really didn't know anything about it, but we, we found out after going there a few times and then making our way into the home that it was super hunted, like one of the more legitimate huntings I've ever been involved with. So history, no. Probably just, I mean, there's no telling how old the house and the land was. Could have had Native American things associated with it, too. But the bad part was that when we first found the house, it was fine. And then, you know, we didn't do much with it. And then people ended up vandalizing it, and it just became a really hot spot to go to. Wow. Now, would you say that's the most active investigation you've conducted? No. I've actually had quite a few very active investigations, and each one has been sort of different. Some of them are more very technical-based, like, you know, EVP, uh, your gadgets, and some of them have been when I sort of started working with a friend who's a medium and he sort of helped me open up. They've been more on the uh, ESP side where, you know, my, my mind's tick in and I go in as a medium instead of a technical investigator and I get hit with some things. And it's not that, you know, it's not like anecdotal evidence. It's, I have audio and EVP to back it up. So I've had some very intense investigations when I combine the technical and like psychic side. And then there's also some investigations where we're getting disembodied voices and on top of that, just some very clear EVP and not just clear EVP, but intelligent interactions. So I've had quite a bit happen. That's awesome. And so where would you say is the most active location that you've ever investigated? I would have to say currently, if if we're talking in a general area, I would have to say Brownella College up in Galleon, Ohio. Brownella was so active for me that I ended up going, I feel like I went twice. So the first time I went, since I, since I investigated primarily on my own, I had some friends who were supposed to come with me because we were going to go to Gill House that afternoon. Because Brownella and McGill are within walking distance. I don't think a lot of people know that. Going into Brownella, I went in there as a medium. And the energies and the spirits that were in there are probably some of the more active things I've ever experienced because it just wasn't like they were coming up to me to interact with me. They were tugging at me. Mm. There was just a range of emotion. They were either happy that I was talking to them or they didn't want me talking about a certain person inside the building. And the way it all sort of ended up coming out was that there was a spirit of a man in there and going throughout the Going throughout the, the home, I had the uh, owners or the paranormal team that sort of manages the place with me to fill out and everything. But the spirit of the man in there presented to me in like separate personalities. By the end of it, I thought I was experiencing just different different people, you, you know, a different guy. Yeah. And then each time, each time I sort of encountered and spoke with him, his wife was sort of around. And then it became. It became very interesting because when I got up to his bedroom and I said, you know, this is where he seeks solace. This is the guy up here is very calm. His wife's bedroom was actually connected to his bedroom, like a, you know, a walkthrough. 
and she did not like me talking about them because I just felt like a rush of energy come up behind me. It's sort of like, you know how somebody will come and put a stern hand on your shoulder? Yeah. That's what it felt like. Wow. And to me, energetic, energetically speaking, I said, she she just came up to something up, up behind me that doesn't like me talking about this. And then, you know, me, I have to interpret what I'm getting. I'm like, she doesn't like me talking about him. And they were floored. They're like, that's exactly correct. And I don't know if a lot of people know Brown, Brownella because the man that worked there was a pastor. He was a Catholic pastor. And in different portions of the home, he's got completely different personalities. Over at the church, he's God-fearing man. Inside of his room, he's very humble. He's got like a study downstairs where he studies his religion. He, he's down there. He's just completely focused. Energy is much different. You go over to like there's a another there's a building that used to be the church that was connected to Brown Cottage, and you go out there. And when I got out there, I mean. Visually speaking, there was like an energy fog in a room, and the man that was there was now stern, very focused, and like sort of a take-no-shit kind of person. Yeah. And so to me, I'm like, these people are completely different people, but when I sat down and I spoke to the, uh, the team that managed the place, they're like, this is who this man is. I can't remember his name, I'll have to look it up. They said, this is who this man is. And it come to find out, he had sort of married in the money to take care of a woman, and then the mother's spirit was also there. But this guy was Catholic, but he actually wrote books that sort of condemned God and the Catholic religion. And he was the first person in the modern era to actually be tried for, I forgot what they call it, when they completely just erase him from the Catholic Church. He completely shunned the Catholic Church and questioned God, but he was a very loving man where he took care of people. But come to find out that when I went and I went out there, and I, his name is Bishop, Bishop, anyway, let me keep going. So when I went out there and I found out why this person was so separated, come to find out the guy was like an extreme communist. No, wow. And this is back in like the Cold, the Cold War era where, you know, you don't be a communist. Yeah. But he was an extreme communist. He had communist leaders inside of the building. And if you walk from the main building out to this old church that he had, that was his big office, you see, like, the, the communist symbol, you know, ingrained into the uh, cement. And that's it. His name was Mont Montgomery Brown. And he, they, I think they labeled him as a heretic or something like that because of his beliefs. But inside of this place, the spirits there are just, they were incredibly active and it was intelligent interaction. So for me, that was something I wasn't used to. I've been hit by that a few times. Like there was a pharmacy in Lebanon that hit me like that pretty bad. I can talk about that too. But even from like EVP and digital recorder in my uh, tech gear, they were, everything was clicking on the tech gear too. And then when you went into the basement, so I guess my problem was I went in there by myself. Um, I've, been, I've been doing the medium thing, but things still occur to me that are sort of overwhelming. Yeah. And I went down there into the basement, and the feel in the basement was 100% different. It was something, I won't say malevolent, but it was something that just wasn't energetically aligned like the rest of the home. You had human interaction up there, human spirits that were intelligent, that were either attached to the home. They weren't passed over. I never got a feeling that anything was passed over. But when you went down there in the basement, there was something that was like the culmination of the energies that were down there. I went to the back room. And there was a man just 
sort of huddled up in a corner, afraid. And then when you go over to another portion of the room, there's some kind of manifestation down there that I couldn't key on. But there was a manifestation down there, and I was sort of a, just this brooding figure of energy, <laughs> this negative energy. It wasn't anything like demonic. I'm, I'm, in terms of demonic activity, I'm, you know, those are outliers to me. Uh, but because I've actually been involved with like a demonic case that was legitimate, and it's, I, I can talk about that too because that was way different. Yeah. Um, but Brownella College Cottage hit me like a, like a sack of rocks, and to find out that it was just right there near the, near the Gill House just stunned me. And the place was so active, and the team that was with it, the team that was sort of like in charge of the place was so happy with what I did that I got I sat there and I talked to them because I went during the day. All of this, all of this stuff I'm talking about happened during the day. So I went and I called my buddy who trained me in psychic mediumship, and we actually came back about two and a half, three weeks later, and did the investigation again because the place was just that active. And I plan to go back as soon as all of this pandemic stuff is over and really hit that place hard because it's yeah. quite honestly one of the more active places. And the crazy part is Brownella, um, the Gill House, and Mansfield Reformatory are within like half an hour of each other. Wow. So, That's... Yeah, sorry, I was rambling there, but Brownella no. was actually a very cool place. No, you weren't rambling at all. That was all very interesting. And I, you got to love locations like that, Jonathan, that just like, you know, screams and demands your attention, you know, just like so much going on there. You're being touched. You know, you're getting a ton of evidence. You're feeling things. You're seeing things. I mean, you're getting a little bit of everything. All your senses are heightened. And um, that's, that's neat. That's interesting that Pastor had the, has the same last name as you, Brown. Yeah, no. <laughs> Thanks, sir. <laughs> he, he, he was quite outspoken, and he was very much, you know, he believed everything that he that he needed to believe. And it was interesting that he was so involved in the Catholic Church that he believed the question what their what their purpose was because they, his thing was they wouldn't help the poor and the needy, and so that's what he did. And then he started to question who Jesus was. I think he said something along the lines of like, you know, Jesus is imaginary. And the Catholic Church was not about that talk. They they were like, no, you can't have that kind of rhetoric. Yeah. And, and do these things. But the history is online for the place. I mean, if, if anybody's in the area, check it out. They're very accommodating. You got the Gill House near there. Not to <laughs> say anything too bad about the Gill House. My first time at the Gill House, exceptional. I got all kinds of things. I actually have a psychic medium study I did there. After going to the Brown Mellow that morning and then going to the Gill House, I felt like the Gill House was a hotel. Right. And Brown Mellow just has a ton to offer. I mean, you're talking about a basement, a huge first floor, second floor, an attic, and then they'll let you into the church. There's an outbuilding there. And then on top of all of those things, they have a historical museum attached to it that are all yours to explore. So in terms of investigating and energy, you know, and you have intelligent spirit interaction, and there's got to be more than enough residual activity going on there. So the place is probably one of my top spots to go to. That is awesome. Yeah, love places mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, so I could see why that is one of your most very active uh, locations to go to. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, this pandemic ends 
sooner than later. I know, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, it can't last forever. It's going to end, you know, yeah. but just like, yeah. hopefully soon. Cause I know a lot of people are just like, I want to get the hell out of my house, you know, <laughs> like I, yeah. I love it, but I don't want to be stuck here 24 seven. So yeah, there's places that I just want, I'm, you know, dying to go to as well as soon as this all ends. Oh. So I wish they would have left so many paranormal spots open because if you're an independent investigator or you got one or two people or I understand the social distancing but there's not a lot of people inside of these spots and most of them are thousands and thousands of square feet yeah so it'd be it'd be nice but I can understand why not because I would love to say hey yeah you know let me come in here for the night by myself right (laughs) You know, Jonathan, I love talking not only to fellow paranormal investigators, but mediums. I I love mediums. I've had some good readings through several of them. I've, you know, with the exception of only one that was not good, like, you know, she uh, was actually found out to be a phony, but... I I love talking with them and I love seeing like I know they're all different you know like sometimes I I know some spirits like uh, you know will show themselves as certain mediums like in full bodied apparition like boom there you are I could touch you or sometimes it's like a you know a mist or a another type of manifestation how do they communicate with you and how do they present themselves to you is it always the same or is it different so it's always been sort of different. Mm. Typically, I, oper- I operate off of energy. I call it my, you know, it's like my spotty senses are tingling. I'll feel it in the back of my head. It sort of courses down my body, and then I know something is around. But most of the time, it comes as a form of energy. And I, I speak about this a lot in a lot, some of the videos I make, but I consider it just a non-physical intelligence. And the, the best way I can say to describe that is, you know how people interact with each other. You see somebody face-to-face, they're either going to make you hyper, or they're going to activate one of your process. So typically, when you get a spirit, you have to you have to sort of imagine how you interact with a person, how you interact with like a group of people. And then all you have to really do is remove the physical body. And all of those sensations are still there. Hmm. But it's a matter of sort of taking your mind and disconnecting the physical and feeling the, the unseen. <laughs> so... A spirit will make you feel uneasy. So when I operate, I feel the energy that comes in because this intelligence is there. It's concentrated. It's either going to make me feel nervous or it's going to make me feel happy, but it's going to give me some kind of energetic communication that comes into my body. And then when it comes into me, my mind, my ESP or whatever you have it, (laughs) takes that energy and it sort of, it translates it. It translates it into into an actual situation, and it's instantaneous. The biggest thing that you get is you question yourself. So when it, when the spirits come to me, at first I feel their energy. It's like somebody's over here next to me because it'll feel like a physical person walking up to you, but you don't see it. And the, and the mind says, "I don't see anything," so it's nonsense. The logical mind interrupts the free mind and says, "Hey, there's nobody there. It's just nonsense." blow it off, get rid of it. But if you get rid of that lot, that, that sensation at the right, I think it's the right brain, I don't know what they say, but if you get rid of that and you start to really dive into it, that's when these things will start opening up for you. So when the, you know, the spirit's pulling me, first it comes in as an energy. I take my attention and I focus on energy and I say, you're obviously here, who are you? From there, I sort of 
just like mindfulness meditation, you sort of focus on the energy and you interact with it. You can ask the questions, because a lot of times I carry my reporter, you can ask the questions, but as this energy and as the relationship grows with the spirit, things manifest mentally through your, like your, your mind's eye. You can either see formations of them, you can you either start to get activities from them, you either start to you get a personality, and then they'll talk to you. To me, I haven't gotten to the point where I can say, well, I hear what you're saying. My friend, he can get names and things like that. They tell him, hey, go here and look for this. He'll go there and look for that, and he finds something. Wow. I'm not to that point, but when they when they talk to me, I get I can see in my head them their movement sometimes. I can see what, what they want to try and say to me. If I ask them a question, I can get responses in my head. Now, they don't come, it's not like I'm saying, hey, how old are you? Well, I'm, I'm 28, John. No, it's more like, they'll give me an age range. They'll give me some bit of psychic information. I say, how old are you? In my mind, I see them, and their face sort of clears out, and I see a general age. And I can say, oh, you look about 20, 22, or you look younger. If it's a smaller spirit, you can see like the stature and the height of them. Um, the way they can interact differently is sometimes I won't get any of that. Sometimes I just get strictly energy. Like at Brown Miller College, the wife gave me strictly energy. Hey, you need to back up from my husband. She didn't want me to see her. The man, it was it was a very large portion of energy, but in my head, when I when I take the energy in and I think and I close my eyes and I think about it, images start to form. The biggest part is that you not let you know, sort of your your interpretation of things, cloud the image. Spirit's going to give you a message. It's going to give it to you straight. You have to believe it. When the, when the misconceptions and when things start to get fuzzy is when you try and think too much into it. And a lot of times, you have to say what comes to you, and that's what I'll do. But then there's other, and it, and it all depends on how they interact with me. If, it's, if we're talking about somebody that's attached and earthbound, and sort of carrying that baggage that they had in life or as they're passed over. Um, I'll talk about the more positive one. Both can be positive, but if they're passed over, the energy that they convey is so much lighter and just happier. They're, they're smiling. They're very just loose and easy about what they're doing. They're, they're walking around. They're saying, this is this and this is this. They're visiting, and they're passing on a message to me. It's a very great light energy. For instance, I went to a heritage village over here in Sharon Woods when I first started doing this, and there was a woman sitting on the bed, and she was just passing over and coming to visit because we had a bunch of people in her room. Because in Heritage Village, there's a bunch of like colonial homes that they moved over there. Mm. And the woman looks at me and just smiles. And without thinking, without conscious thought, I'm smiling cheek to cheek like a giddy kid. <laughs> and I'm like, she just smiled at me. And I was on cloud nine for about half an hour after that. That's how they interact if they're passed over. It's a very light, loose energy. Now, they're earthbound or they're attached, they're protecting, what have you. The energy is a little, it has a different vibration. Um, it has more human emotion in it. The things that pass over, they're light, easy, they're not here, they're not attached, they can come and go as they please. These spirits are trapped. The same things that will plague us in life, you know, that anguish, sometimes it might be happiness in a way, they convey that on to you. And, and these spirits that are, have been here for a while, they have different ways of interacting with you. There's one in, in Lebanon Pharmacy where it was the first time I experienced it. Lebanon Pharmacy, I should have said that as my most active, but it blew me away. But I had a man spirit that I encountered up in the attic. 
on the second floor, he was there. He was very much attached to the site. He was grumpy. He didn't want me really talking to him. He preferred to keep his distance. Just not a very good person. Why? I sort of pressed him and I said, well, who are you? Who are you? And as these images were forming in my mind, all of a sudden, like, his neck elongated. He got really mad at me and he sort of came at me. And I told him, hey, you know, back up. Like, it, it freaked me out for a second. Yeah. But he, he changed his whole form. And that's been documented. And what I've noticed is some of these other spirits that have just been here for a while, they sort of brew and they collect energy. And I, I found that sites with a lot of residual energy do harbor and have inhabitants have habits that are intelligent earthbound spirits that sort of feed from the energy. And these, these spirits can distort their body. They can give you false images. Spirits will lie to you. Um, they can be territorial. And when they present to you like that, they can press on you. And they can change your mood. They can take some of your own energy because a lot of these things will feed off of like your body energy and things like that. And they can, and they can deflate you. And when you deal with those kinds of spirits, it's, it's, a, it's a huge difference from dealing with the other ones that I've encountered. Typically, to go back to just summarize the question, is a lot of it is energy transfer. First, the goosebumps come, then you understand that, hey, something is here that's not physical, that is intelligent, and they carry their own signature, their energetic signature, and you run into it, and then from there, a relationship is made with the spirit where you start to go back and forth. The biggest part is just sort of understanding that language of energy and being able to translate it. It's like if a person came up to me speaking Spanish, I could barely understand them. I can understand some things, but if I'm a fluent Spanish speaker, I understand everything they're saying, so the conversation is fluid. So as you get to learn these things, that energy transfer between the investigator or the psychic medium and the, the spirit becomes more of a like live interaction. And a lot of times with my uh, colleague who trains me, he'll tell me, yeah, John, I like what you're doing. And what I've noticed is these things will interact with you with your audio too. So typically, like I like I have to go back to ask you a question, it's all energetic for me. And sometimes they're nice, sometimes they're heavenly, and then sometimes they're just mean as hell. No, that's very interesting, and that's a mm -hmm. neat technique that you have, a neat system, and... Mm -hmm. That's why I love hearing about, you know, what mediums go through, because not one is the same, you know, it's always going to be different. Mm -hmm. So, I have a few cases. I don't know how much time I can take up, so I'm trying to figure out order of importance, because there, there's at least two of them that I would really like to talk about. One was the Lebanon Pharmacy, because I bring that up quite a bit, so I've covered some bases there. One was an investigation when I was maybe like two, three years into the field, we're in Hamilton, Ohio, where we actually had to go to a, a demonic infestation, singular. I'll just go ahead and I'll talk about that since we've been talking about energy. So we got a call for a case that when we got there, we went to the mother's house. The father wasn't in the house. So we went to the mother's house and she was there with her kid. And she told us my husband got possessed by a demon and is harming the children in the house. Ooh. Yeah, so having heard about the things, I was like, okay, this is interesting, but as an investigator, like my nervousness was probably a, an eight out of 10. 
we go and we speak directly to the mother and the child and sort of get the story from her. The mother says that a demon enters him and he he was attacking her. And while he would attack, he would it would just spit out scriptures and things like that and his whole demeanor changed. And they said that some of the children had actually been physically attacked by the thing to the point where, you know, they all used to live in this house. Now the only person in the house was the husband and the mother and the children had separated. Aww. Now, thinking off the top of my, on my head, I'm like, well, I hope it's not domestic abuse or anything like that. But based on what she told us, that just was not the case. She said he had never acted like that. Nothing like this had ever occurred. And it was completely spontaneous and out the blue. So we spoke to the daughter because they felt they said everything had started around the time the daughter started having seizures. Looking back on it now, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's like a PK manifestation. Maybe the daughter like hit this point and she spiked, and it's like just very hard poltergeist activity in there. Yeah, but it wasn't. Speaking to the daughter, she starts to tell us that the whole situation began to happen when they found an old whale. On the, in the house and we're like well that's very interesting so she's starting to tell us that when she has the seizures and it, she feels like it's attacking her and it's attacking her brothers and and the creepy part was we have it on video I actually have a whole video of the investigation I'm, I'm thinking about putting out there but it's just a lot of like privacy issues I have to clean up right but while we're speaking to the daughter but you know inside the house the curtain right behind her starts to move. Hmm. And you would think, like, well, maybe it's the wind, maybe it's the AC, maybe she's messing with it. None of those things were a factor. The AC wasn't on, there was no wind, the window was shut tight, there was no draft coming through, but the whole curtain was just moving right behind her. And we were just like, man, this is this is crazy. It was starting to mount up, and we, haven't even, we hadn't even went in the dang house yet. Jeez. So, after speaking with the mother... We never got to talk to the father. The father, she called him and was like, well, will you talk about this? He said, absolutely not. He, he mm. wanted nothing to do with it. And the family was very Catholic. They were very religious, so they just, they weren't, he wasn't interested. But we, we, you know, we had a job to do. So we went over to the house that night. Everybody protected and ground themselves. We walked around like the, the outside of the house to check it out. And then we went in with the mother. And we walked into this house, and I was, I'm a very much a believer in the fact that everything has some kind of energy signature. You go to a party, oh, this party has really good, lively energy. You can tell when it starts to get bad. You go out to an event, you can tell what the gist of it is. Anywhere you go, you're going to feel the vibe of a place. We walked into this place, and I had never felt anything like it. It was energetically dead. Wow. I mean, if you if you could get an EKG on this thing and, or whatever, it would have been flatline. Hmm. The house the house felt like it had been sitting for years. <laughs> there was the air was just stagnant. Usually, I mean, at this time, I wasn't dealing in the psychic medium stuff, but I could still feel when something creeped me out. And I was creeped out, but the place gave me no reason to be like. Everywhere you walked, every room you went into, there was nothing. You couldn't feel, you couldn't feel anything. And in my head, I'm just thinking like, well, I've been on more than a few investigations at this point. I always feel something, but there is nothing in here. And we, we start talking 
to the woman and she starts going over everything that went on. You know, the kid says, coming from here, this is where the husband had his activity, this is the bedroom, this is where, like, he, he got possessed. And you walk in all of those and you're just looking. You're, you're feeling for some kind of energy that might say, hey, it might be in here. You just got nothing. So we start exploring the house and, and the situation either came to me as either the thing is inside of the man or the thing doesn't want us to know that it's here. And when I said to myself, it doesn't want us to know it's here, that's when I was like, okay, I think that's the case. So we tour the house with the woman and we're in there and she shows us the well. The well is actually inside the structure of the house. She lifts up a floorboard and there it is. There's the well. Hmm. We go downstairs and there's an old summer kitchen, and, and I think this is what the, the summer kitchen, because I've run into a few places. The summer kitchen is like where they would go to cook during like the summer or something like that, where it's underground, it's cooler, but there's an old summer kitchen down there. And the, the history of those things, like, those things go way back. So here we are in this house, in like, what is it down, like Hamilton, Ohio, that looks like a normal house, but beneath like the architecture and everything like that, it's actually a very, very old house. It's actually, you know, it's got to have, like, all kinds of residual energy. That's another point. There was no residual energy to speak of. When I say energy of a place, there was nothing residual in there. It's like the whole place just got sucked dry. And so, anyway, we go down into the summer kitchen, and that's your typical creepy, creepy place, you know? Yeah. And we, we, we begin, and we say, okay, let's start the investigation. And me, I was thinking in my head, like... Do I want, how, how far do I want to bridge communication with this thing? Because I don't want it to think that I'm somebody it can latch on to, that, you know, I'm a target, because I do have some faith. So we start the investigation, everybody sort of splits up. Um, I'm with my friend at the time, and she's with me, and we're sort of talking, and you can see just the nervousness between her and I, because she was fairly new to investigating, too. And everywhere we go, we're just getting nothing. Spirit box, ghost box, um, no no activity on it, just static. EVP sessions, nothing. Even the static cameras that I had, which is where I have a video from, nothing really showed up on it. You know, you got your dust and things like that, but we really experienced nothing in the place. Yeah. Uh, we went upstairs, and we maybe got, I think the back room, we ended up getting some kind of activity, but for the most part, it did not want us to communicate with it, and it didn't want anything to do with us. We... What ended up happening was we went back twice. The second time we brought a pair of mediums in. And what they ended up finding was they said there's a portal. And there was a portal inside of the boys' room. And this is the same room. This is all coming back to me as I'm talking about. This is the same room where they said the bed moved. And so the two mediums go up there and they say, there's a portal here. I don't have a lot of experience with portals. I don't know how people fill portals out. The most thing I can think is that they just come as burst existence like this supercharged bit of energy. But she said there were some portals there, and we said, okay, let's close it. So they did whatever it is they did. I got it on video. I mean, personally, I thought what they did was a bunch of shenanigans. Um, he said you ran into a fake medium once. I don't know if these, these two were fake. The, the person, the founder of the group I was working with trusted in them. But what they did to supposedly shut down this portal, I thought was just, I, I thought wasn't effective. Yeah. Um, they use like herbs or something, and, and in my mind, I'm like, look, the condition of a home is a potential, you know, demonic possession. 
but so I don't understand how a portal involves anything. A portal maybe could explain some other energies that were in here, other spirits or other, you know, intelligence that are in here, but it doesn't solve the problem with a, with a demonic possession. But they said they closed the portal. The founder of that group at the time sort of washed his hands of it and said, you know, the portal's been closed, everything's fine. Hmm. My friend and I, the woman I worked with, we, 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 we didn't agree. And so he let the investigation go, but we got the client's contact information. And so around that time, we split from that group and we kept in contact with the client. Because I tell people now that if you're going to, as a, an investigator, if you're going to take on a residential case of a family that needs help, you sort of need to pause everything else you're doing because it's not going to take one investigation. You got to expect it to take one or two or three investigations because there's you go in there and you say, okay, this is the issue, and you try and confront it. You got to check back in, and then you sort of got to check on the psychological state of the, the hosts, the people that live there. And then the third time, you know, you're sort of closing things out. Well, in this situation, about a month later, the woman contacted us, saying, look, we're back in here and everything is still going on. The kids are still getting messed with. My, my husband is still being messed with. And whatever just didn't solve the issue we went back and we talked to her and what I did was I reached out to the Archdiocese of Cincinnati which was not easy they I understand they deal with possessions and exorcisms and things like that but trying to convince them is like I don't know how to explain it it's like trying to pull teeth push the rhinoceros <laughs> to water you know yeah um, so the Archdiocese was Hesitant. They wouldn't come out to the house, and we, after talking with them for a while, I got them to at least call the client. And so they spoke with the client, and they ended up developing a relationship with the client. But after speaking with the client, the client told them that the archdiocese told them how to bless their house, like how to seriously bless their house and sort of do like an exorcism on it. And they worked with the archdiocese for a while, and after speaking with them, they said the activity ended up dying down. Now, that was the last time I talked to them, and that was years ago. Oh, wow. So I'm assuming after they stopped calling, things got better, because that's typically what happens. You know, once they're fine, you're fine, you won't hear from them. But it was interesting, because that was probably the, the only legitimate case I ran into. And I, I, I didn't need to see a demon to prove it. You know, I, I'm actually better off not doing that. I, don't, I just don't want to see it. And I found it, I find it interesting that... When we went in there as foreigners to the home, the home and, and the entity that was there wanted nothing to do with us. Now, had we probably stayed the night and really invested some time, like serious time staying the night and researching the place, something may have happened. But it was funny, not funny, but it's interesting that when they went back into the house, things spiked up. So it, it, could, it could have been a number of things. It could have been like a PK manifestation or something with a little girl that more than likely was probably just one piece of the puzzle. Overall, I was glad the Archdiocese was, was glad, was able to help them. <laughs> and ever since then, I sort of started researching a lot of that stuff. I've listened to a few uh, conversations between, I think, Art Bill. I think it's either Art Bill or George Norrie and uh, Father Malachi Martin. And something Father Malachi Martin said <laughs> really touch base with me and it was involving demonic possession and he said demonic possession 
It's something that will not happen unless the host person welcomes it. You have to let the demon or whoever know that, yes, you could, I'll, I'll take possession. I'll, I'll, you know, you have to make an agreement with them. Otherwise, a demon cannot possess you. He said, the only thing a demon can do without your approval is obsess over you. And when he says obsession, he's like, sort of like a crazy fan, you know, like a, what's the name of that Stephen King movie? They just had a TV show about it from Castle Rock season two. I can't remember the name. She breaks the guy's ankles. He's like a book writer. I can't remember Oh, um, Misery? Yeah, something like Lake Misery or something like misery. that. Misery, oh, yeah, that's the movie, Misery, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> he said, at, at most, a demon can obsess over you and just crowd around you. It can't, it can't possess you. A lot of times people, they think about demonic possession and they think it's like the exorcist. You know, you're fine today and tomorrow you're walking down the steps backwards and crawling up walls, but demonic possession is a very slow process. And I often wonder with that case, if the husband let something in, but he was a very Catholic man, or was it a case of obsession? where a spirit just wanted him and, and took a very strong interest in him. But for from based on what they're telling me, if a demon was in a position to take over his body in this possession, it's just interesting. But it was sort of comforting and no one lets you walk in demonic possession. It's not going to happen, but nobody wants a demon hanging around them, putting thoughts in their heads, you know? Right. But, so, yeah, that, that was that case in Hamilton. I haven't experienced anything like that ever since that case in terms of energy uh, we did like a middle town antique store and I worked in the group Victory of Light Paranormal like we had Victor Peruta and, and a, like it, the group was like 85% psychic mediums it was the, and for me being a very strong person on like researching psychics and things like that I was in a theme park because mm. I did every little I did every little bit of research I could on them Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but like, I took them to places where I, like, I took them to Rose Hotel, and I had them all do separate medium walks on the second floor, and they weren't allowed to talk to each other, they weren't allowed to interact each, with each other, they weren't allowed to say a damn thing to anybody, and so they all did their walks, and I took each of those walks and I compiled them into a video that showed the similarity of their findings. And it was sort of remarkable how similar the findings were, even though they didn't communicate. And they they shared everything afterwards. But then what made it crazier was I got I actually got EVP to support what they were picking up. The, some of the spirits that they were talking to came through in the, in the EVP. And I've sort of used that. Anytime I have one to two psychic mediums, I use that process for the investigation where they, they each do a walk of the place and they don't communicate and I compare their walks to see what the findings are. And I have a technical portion of it too where I have my technical investigators, which is usually me, <laughs> go through and run the place too to see what they pick up. And I've got a, a few, I keep bringing it up because they're online if people want to check them out. But I, I've, I was able to write like a thesis paper on psychic mediums for an interdisciplinary degree because most degrees will probably burn my paper. <laughs> but, but it was very interesting. But anyway, that was a demonic infestation in uh, Hamilton. 
Wow. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure the family was very grateful, you know, for you being there. Yeah. And um, like you said, you haven't heard from them since. And so, it, you know, obviously, if things mm-hmm. were still going on, I'm sure they would have still contacted you and stuff. But yeah. that must be a good feeling, especially knowing that there were children in that house. You know, I mean, everybody, yeah. you know, man, woman, child, but it really just pulls on heartstrings when it's like little children that are getting messed with. It's like, they don't understand these kind of things for the most part. Some do like me at that age, you know, when I was a little kid, I understood that kind of stuff because I was obsessed with it. But for a lot of like people that are younger, they don't know that kind of thing. You know, they just, that's just like what <laughs> movies are, you know, this isn't real life. <laughs> They're sheltered from it because a lot of, most of the time the parents cut it off after five, six years old when they, they say they don't, you don't talk to your imaginary friends or yeah. that's a bunch of rubbish. Like, we're not going to believe that. When it happens, you shut it off. But sometimes some people are in situations where you don't shut it off because it's so strong and it's so prominent that it sort of just rattles your reality. And you have no choice but to believe it. And that's where the believers come from because they've seen it. And it's such a paranormal activity and these situations like this are so are outliers. But the people that have really went out there and seen it, rather by choice or not, they're, they're, they're 100% believers. It's not dust or orbs. It's not just psychological makeup. Like, this stuff's real. So, completely agree. Right. No, absolutely. So, Jonathan, before we end, let's. I want to end with EVPs. I'm a huge electronic voice phenomenon gal. I love audio. That's my favorite piece of evidence. What are your top three, if you think, uh, favorite EVPs that you've collected throughout your investigations? Ooh, I've got so many. And I love <laughs> this. Like, this, is my, this is my number one topic because I've researched them a lot, too. Yeah. So I would say Gill House. My first investigation at the Gill House, we're in the basement, and we're speaking. And I say, hey, I think this is where they kept the bodies. And over top of, as a response, you hear a woman say, why do you care? And I love that EVP because not only does she understand what I'm saying, what I said, the context of what I said, but she had an intelligent response. Yeah. Why do you care? What, what concern is it of yours? So that was one. Another one is, I did some research on this one because the recorders that you use actually make, cause you not to get EVP. And some may cause you to get more EVP. But we were in the Delano Barnes building up in, I think, Kettering, Ohio. Um, the building's famous because it's got a lot of World War One or Two stuff where a lot of their students had to go off to war. They didn't come back. God bless their souls. Um, mm. And we're in the auditorium, and somebody walks across the stage. And my higher-end recorder just picks up some keys rattling and then walking across the stage. My lower-end or my Sony, uh, Sony recorder it's like the one I used. Remember when I told you I got that EVP at the farmhouse? Yeah. It's the same recorder. I've been using it for ages because it's phenomenal. But that recorder picks up somebody saying, why would they leave us like this? Wow. Yeah. I, I, I don't want I, I keep saying it because the stuff is online. I don't know if you guys want to check it out. But it's on YouTube. Do you mind me saying that? Go right ahead. So I do have a YouTube channel. It's called Epoch Paranormal. It's Epoch like the frame of time. I pronounce it the British way because it's a homage to how I said as a kid because it's from Colonel Trigger. 
it's a time machine from Chrono Trigger, but it's the group is just called Epoch Paranormal, and these two EVPs are on there. The Why Do You Care is in the Kill House EVP, and then the Why Would They Leave Us Like This is in the Dwight O'Brien's EVP video. And, and, and so the last EVP wasn't mine, but it was from a place in Lebanon. I won't say the business because I told her I keep the business private, but the, the home was actually part of the Underground Railroad. Ooh. Um, and we're all in there. We were in this place so much, and the cool part is the woman speaks to the spirits there. And I think, I don't know if this is, if it relates, but her speaking to the spirits, you get the clearest EVPs there because they speak to you. And one of our investigators, I guess I have two EVPs from this place, one of our investigators, when we first really went into this place, is walking down the steps. And you get a southern woman. You hear her accent. You hear the inflection in her voice. You hear everything. And she says, I'm going to need you to help me. Here is day. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So this same place, at a more recent date, maybe over the last two, three years, I get something that I consider a transformation, transformative EVP. A lot of people say EVP comes from just static noise and ambient noise. What I found is that EVP can also come from a sudden noise, like a sudden long noise, like scraping something across a table, a chair moving across the ground. So what we get is, I think I sit in a chair or something, and my higher-end reporter just gets me sitting in a chair in the noise. My lower-end reporter gets this EVP that says, prove it. Like, hmm. prove it. And in the context of it all, I'm there with a friend, and she's like, and we go upstairs, she says, something is up here, I feel it, because she's an empath psychic medium. She says, something is up here, I feel it. And what we get in the context of her saying that is this EVP that says, prove it. Like, you feel it, prove it. Show me. And these were in the same, same, the same place. Now, I've got a video out there on the YouTube channel, too, and I think this is called, it's called the, uh, Lebanon private business or something like that. But we've, we've gotten all kinds of EVPs. There's a place, a place that we went to in Trenton, Ohio. We ended up up in the EVP house because soon as we walk in there, one investigator gets his name clear as day. Uh, we're down in the basement and we get a disembodied voice of a girl speaking to us. Um, we're upstairs and we're getting intelligent interactions with the spirits that are telling us what they do and don't like. And we went into this home, and the whole thing was just sitting in the front room. Like, yeah, this place is haunted. And it was like during the middle of a winter storm. We trucked our butts out there. So but wow. I would say those are my top three. And then there's one from the house, the farmhouse, which, sorry, I'm going, do I got a second to talk about these? Yeah. So there's one from the farmhouse when I told you, like, hey, when I went in there, the place blew my mind, where we went upstairs to the farmhouse. And we went back home and I reviewed it. Because after I found the uh, knocking off EVP, they just started to flood in. And we were upstairs. And all you hear is like somebody walking up the steps. Now, we were there. Nobody walked up the damn steps onto the second floor. But you hear somebody go, doom, 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 up the steps. And then you hear them go, hit that, hit that, hit that. Hmm. And we're like, what? And the EVP was so clear that I told my buddy, I said, there's a bum. There's a bum in that house with us. And so every time we went back, I checked. There was no bomb. There was no sign of a bomb. Nobody was in that house. Yeah. But we got this crystal clear EVP. 
and this was like maybe my third or fourth EVP I ever got. And the place was haunted. I have to tell you some stories about that place because it just, it went on for a while. Like I ended up, my bed would shake in my dorm room because I was in the military. We were in the dorms. Like my bed would shake in the dorm room. That's the same place where I woke up in the middle of the night and there's like a dude in old farm clothing just staring at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he had his apartment had a white mist walk through his I mean walk walk through his door and it was all from this place. He saw a shadow figure in there. He said. And I laughed because after he saw that, because we would do, we investigated complete darkness. After he saw that, he never turned the damn light off again. <laughs> like, hey, Tony, turn the light off for a second. He's like, okay. A minute later, back on. <laughs> oh. He's like, no, man, I, I can't do it. <laughs> oh. Poor guy. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got quite a bit. I, I have a few EVP videos out there. Um, I, I highly suggest they all listen, you use headphones because sometimes I hear things, you know? Right. And those are probably some of my more favorite ones, but I got, I got quite a bit, so. Right, and it is, I liked that you added the headphones part because, like, for me and you who investigate the paranormal, like, mm-hmm. duh, we know to do that. We know to use headphones because you could hear yeah. a lot better, but, like... Mm-hmm. For, for a great example, I had, there was this one old cemetery in Pueblo, Colorado, where I live part-time, and it's called Pioneer Cemetery, and it's the oldest cemetery in town. There's, like, these, like, three old copper-looking crosses in, a, in one plot, wow. you know? And I go over there, and there's this... Like a golf ball. Yeah, it was a golf ball sitting there. And I asked, we were just doing an EVP session. And I just said, can you tell me what this object is? And I kind of put my foot right next to it. What's next to my foot? And I'm listening to the audio later. And a man whispers golf ball. And it sounded like golf ball. Yeah. And it was really awesome. I was just like, yes, that's awesome. I love that, you know. And uh, so I showed somebody else, and they're like, yeah, I hear that. And so I took the headphones out, and we, I played it again, and uh-huh. you could barely hear it, like, at, at all. Yep. Like, if you weren't looking for it, you would have missed it, you know. And so... And that's the, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, yeah. So I, I like, I was just saying, so that's why I really liked that you added listen if you're going to listen go on a youtube channel listen to the evps but use the headphones because those definitely help <laughs> yeah i'll put a big disclaimer up there too like and it's just a lot of people will hear different things but putting on headphones changes it like you gotta you gotta listen because you just you hear more inflection you hear the break of syllables and that's what, what counts and to us like yeah you know we're, we're getting over that stuff like yeah yeah if there's some, I mean, I haven't seen a lot, but there's EVPs. Like EVPs, I feel like are a very common phenomenon. So right, no, absolutely. And some, and some people aren't. I don't see how you can argue it. Like right, I don't know. Well, Jonathan, again, it was so awesome having you on. We'll have to have you on again. And thank you, um, thank you so much for your time. And also, thank you for your service mm-hmm. with the military, with the Air Force. That's awesome. Oh, it was a. Uh, it was fun. I barely remember how I was in there. <laughs> but it was fun. <laughs> but, yeah, any anytime you want me back, just let me know. I got all kinds of stuff to talk about, especially EVPs. I, I can chat with you about some of the research I've done on recorders, digital recorders. It's very interesting. So, 
it is my goal during this whole quarantine process that I throw some good guests and investigations, encounters, and experiences your guys' way. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. Just go to any podcast platform, such as Deezer, Google Podcast, Podcast Republic, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcast. Basically, you guys, wherever you go to listen to your other awesome podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. And this week's special city shoutouts go to Marietta, Georgia. Santa Cruz de Capibaribe, Brazil, Crystal Lake, Illinois, Merthyr Tidville, Wales, and Bainbridge Island, Washington. Thank you all for listening, and thank you to this week's special guest, Jonathan Brown. See you next week.